Always remember to consult with your physicians before making any changes to your current treatment plan. Definitely sort of a jealousy thing. And I finally asked to speak to um, a psychologist there, which that's another thing I would recommend. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety with your host, Rosaria Kozar. Today I have with me Jessica Scott, a mother of four young boys and is a managing attorney for Scott Law. Her son, Tucker, was diagnosed in 2018 at the age of three. After surgery and 17 rounds of chemo at Texas Children's Hospital, Tucker was deemed cancer-free. The Scott family has worked with Texas Children's on fundraising and informational videos, and Jessica actually founded Tucker's Torpedoes. Jessica knows that knowledge is power and hopes to help patients and their families find the help and information they will need to make sure their children are properly diagnosed and treated. So with that, welcome Jessica to Living with Scanxiety. Hi, thank you so much. It's great to be here today. Well, we're so happy to have you here, and thank you so much for joining us. I usually ask guests for their story first, but I want to start with something we have yet to talk about on this show entirely, and parents with children with cancer um, are definitely going to hear about it at some point in time or see it, and it's called Ringing the Bell. So can you tell listeners what the bell is and what it meant to you to ring it in March of 2019? Well, anybody who uh, gets chemo, we'll see whether they're an adult or a child, will usually see a bell hanging in the infusion rooms and infusion areas. Um, It's always on the wall and the bell is there for uh, the children to ring when they have completely finished all of their chemotherapy. So it is a huge milestone. It's It sort of marks the completion and the end of uh, the journey through chemo. And it's like the, the big celebration with the nurses and the doctors and everybody that you've been deemed cancer-free and you're, you're done with your treatment. And how did that feel to you? It was amazing. It was unbelievable. I mean, we had been through so much, 17 chemos, and Tucker had to do chemo once a week. So it was, he had to do the first, I believe it was 12 rounds once a week. The last five rounds was every three weeks. So, you know, every week, and that's the thing when you start your journey, and I've had other parents tell me this, it is a sign of hope. I mean, it's, it's, you see that and you want to get there. That's sort of a, a goalpost for you and something to think about. And, you know, every once in a while you'll be there and you'll watch a child ring the bell. And it, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a good sign of hope. You know, that there is an end. It's a good thing for people to see that there is an end that you can get to. And, and it's really amazing. And I know Tucker always saw the bell and he kept saying, we're gonna, I'm going to ring that bell. You know, I'm going to do it. And we were finally able to do it. And it was wonderful. We had um, his social workers there. We had, you know, all of the nurses come to it, the doctors. In fact, for his, we even, we had Chick-fil-A there because he wanted to get some food for the the uh, the nurses and doctors and the other staff. And so they brought the cow there. So we had the Chick-fil-A cow. It was really cool. So everybody does like a big tunnel that he got to run through and he got to ring the bell. And it was really amazing. It was such an amazing feeling. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, 
We had small parties, and but if you finished radiation, you were you right. were ringing the bell. It was a little bit different. So I, right. I'm assuming each hospital has varies, but it does. It feels so good to ring that bell. I'll tell you, it really does. It really does. It's. I mean, there's no other feeling like it. I mean, he and he I, he was still really young when he rang it, but he definitely knew what was happening. I mean, he was so excited, and I remember he told them in the interview, for the news interview, that you know, no more needles. You know, I'm so excited about this. It's really sort of the end of the whole process. And it's amazing. It's, it's really a wonderful thing that they do because it's, it's a good mental um, place to want to get to. And, and, re- and really it does, you know, we gave cupcakes to all the other people in the waiting area. We did his Aww. in the waiting area. And it is a good thing for people to see too because, you know, you do know that there's an end. That's great. That's great. But on the flip side... What were your emotions when he was diagnosed? So what's what's your story and what did it feel like on the flip side? Well, I mean, it was probably the worst day of my entire life. And I mean, I think everybody, you see the St. Jude's commercials, you think about it, but you don't, I don't think you ever really feel like it would ever happen to you. And um, it's almost, it's almost indescribable. I mean, it's, it's a fear that you almost can't describe. I mean, it's the worst feeling ever because it's the unknown. It's the terror. You know, you're the parent. What are you going to do? Where are you going to take them? Um, And it's just, I mean, Tucker is such a sweet little boy. He really is just the sweetest little boy. He's snuggly. He's kind. um, He's tender. And, you know, my concern was, you know, how is he going to deal with this? How do you explain it to them? I mean, it's just it's sleepless nights for months, you know, at the beginning, it's just, it's an overwhelming feeling of, uh, it's just indescribable. It's terrifying. It's the most terrifying day of my life, actually. I just want to ask one more piece of that or element to that. When he's diagnosed, you mentioned that it's indescribable. The road ahead is uh, one of the more scariest parts. So if you have a, a parent that has a newly diagnosed children, a child. What would you tell them to possibly give them a small sense of ease? Because as you and I know, there's nothing that you can really say that's going to put somebody at ease. But if you right. could give them a small glimmer of, uh, of something to help them, what would you say? I do think that if you can look at it, you know, like the way, the way we're doing Tucker's torpedoes, the reason why I named it Tucker's torpedoes is because of the, you know, torpedo cancer. So look at it as we're fighting this, we're going to do this. I mean, every day get up and say like, this is a fight. There's hope here. You know, I mean, you can, there's, there's just as many amazing stories are there as there are bad stories, you know, and I would also stay away from over-researching on the internet because you're going to find a lot of negative information there. So I think you need to research, but to an extent, you know, because if you start looking at statistics and things like that, that's not going to help you, you know. The statistics are just that. They're statistics. So you could there's somebody that has to be on the other side of the statistic. That's the problem. There's a flip side to that. Our, you know, one of the, our oncology resident who's amazing, Dr. Emily Shea, that's the other thing. Find 
you know, a resident or a nurse or a doctor or somebody who's, you know, easy to talk to, try to seek that person out, somebody that you can send messages to, you can email, things like that, because she was really sort of my sounding board. You know, every time we did a scan or something, she would say to me, listen, for Tucker, it's either 0% or 100%. Do you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like you can't, you can't get caught up in that. They love to talk about statistics on the internet. They love to talk about it. And it's really, you need to think of it as not being relevant in your case. You know, the internet can be a scary place. Definitely some people will find their, you know, some type of solace in looking on that. But Jessica made a really great point. Don't completely rely on it. And doctors are competent. So you said you talked to a resident and do you know the difference between a resident and the other types of doctors, like the levels? Yeah, the residents, they're, they're full doctors. I mean, they have, they have degrees, but they have to do a residency training to sort of specialize on what they're doing. Isn't that, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's what it is, where you do like a year or two of residency. You can then do a fellowship. I actually believe she was a fellow. Actually, Dr. Shea was a fellow because then you go to specialize even further. And so then you do a fellowship in your specific area that you want to practice. So um, then you get paired up with, you know, other doctors and things like that, that sort of specialize in what you want to do. Yep. And listeners, if you don't know that, definitely ask your doctor, your oncologist about that, because there are different levels and you might find yourself talking to somebody that's less experienced. You might just want to know the difference between that. Uh, It might help you. We didn't exactly talk about your story specifically with, do you want to let us in on what happened. Sure, absolutely. Um, he had had symptoms actually for, you know, quite a while, I would say at least six months prior to us getting the diagnosis. Um, he would, um, right after he turned three, which usually the bilateral, well, the Wilms, bilateral Wilms is extremely rare. So that would be a tumor in both kidneys. Um, Wilms disease generally is on, um, just one kidney and that's relatively easy to treat if it hasn't spread because they can just remove that kidney, you know, do radiation or chemo and move on with it's bilateral. Now you're discussing two kidneys and that makes it a little bit more difficult to deal with. Um, but he was just sort of, you know, really mild things that in hindsight sort of add up. Like he, you know, my mom would comment when she came to visit from another state, you know, he runs sort of crooked, almost like he had a little bit of a limp, um, almost like maybe he was a little pigeon toed or something, but it wasn't totally obvious. It just sort of looked like, oh, that's the way he runs, you know? Well, it ends up, but that was probably a result of the massive tumor that was on his kidney. So that was one thing. Then he had, I mean, he was always sleeping at random times. He started to get a rash in his upper arms. And the biggest thing for him was he started to become, he was the sweetest kid, loved his little brother because he's got a little brother who's 23 months younger than him. He started doing really out of character things. Like he would hit his brother. He And he loves to say, I love you, mom. I love you, mom. He loves to say, I love you. He was starting to say strange things like, I hate you. I hate you, mom. You know? And then, which was really, I mean, that's when I really started going, what is going on? You know? And, you know, why is he doing this? Well, and also whenever we would get sick, he would get really sick. So we would get the flu. He'd have it two weeks longer than the rest of us, you know? Um, And so right before he was diagnosed, it was in the summer and my um, oldest son had been going to camp, to summer camp. And so we all ended up getting sick with this cold, except for Tucker, who had a cold, but was also doing these 
like he had a fever and he was vomiting all the time. Like we'd just be sitting there and he'd be eating and he would just vomit. And then over 4th of July weekend, my husband had a long weekend and we, we, we didn't go anywhere. We said, well, we're just going to hang out in the backyard and, um, play and things like that. So the boys were playing in their pool. They were playing in their, with their toys and he would just break down and have these crazy. And, and I've heard this from all the other childhood cancer parents, because a lot of them, because we homeschool, but a lot of them have kids in school and they would start getting in trouble at school. They would start having, that seems to be, that definitely is a common thing that you see where kids start to have um, problems at school. You know, like they get in trouble, they get messages from the principal or the teacher, you know, like they start to have problems, like they start acting out because they don't know how to specifically say what is wrong with them, you know? And so he was just having these breakdowns, like from one part of the yard to the other, to the other. I mean, it was just total breakdowns over the weirdest stuff, you know, like my brother took my ball, I'm going to have a breakdown. And then over, and I'm like, what is going on? And he sort of had this really low grade fever. And, um, like one or two degrees, I mean, just really low grade, not something that you, and I, I asked about that when we went in, when they were sick, cause we did go in two weeks before that. And I said, what's going on with him? And they just said, oh, you know, he must've gotten a virus. He'll be fine. It's no big deal. Don't worry about the potty training. So I had that week coincidentally gotten a flyer from St. Jude's that said, you know, here's some, uh, return address labels. You can donate this way. In the back of it, it said an insert that said, these are the symptoms of childhood cancer. And he hit the mark on most of them. So, you know, I paid attention to the buzzwords that they said, you know, reverting on potty training, um, emotional changes, you know, this and that. So I immediately the next morning, cause that was 4th of July, I called the pediatrician's office and made sure to say he has a low grade fever. That's not going away you know, he's having potty training problems. He's not, he's, you know, back to peeing in the diaper again and pooping in the diaper. He's having emotional changes. You know, he's got this rash. I went through the whole list. And so they said, look, we'll get him in, you know? So we went in and she looked at him and said, you know, I really just think it's a virus. And I said, I really need you to look at him because he's, his emotions, he's been having these breakdowns. He was potty trained. He's not potty trained. So she finally said, fine, I'll look at him. She put him up on the table and felt this massive mass, which at the time she thought might've been his spleen. And she thought that he had mono. And so, uh, she said, you need to go to an ultrasound right now. So we dropped everything. I, I really didn't think any, I mean, it was mother's intuition, but then for some reason I just thought, you know, it's not going to be that big of a deal. So, he went down there and he got the ultrasound and the ultrasound tech was acting sort of strange and he was ultrasounding that side and he was ultrasounding the other side and he had him flip over and it was a really, really long ultrasound. And, um, he finally came back in and he said, you know, we have the results, but it was right at the end of the day. It was like five 30 in the afternoon and we were downtown at the hospital. And he said, you know, we've got the results, but we need your pediatrician to talk to you about it. And so I said, whoa, something is not right here. You know, this is not good. So I called my husband. I had the two little kids with me. And I said, something is really not right here. I mean, they're telling me I have to wait for the doctor to call me, you know. And then he came out and said, you know, we think we should have somebody sit with you while the doctor calls you. So that immediately was, you know, <laughs> something's really wrong here. So 
there's somebody come and sit with me so that they can help me with the kids. And then, you know, the pediatrician called me and said, look, it's cancer. It looks to be, you know, Wilms disease. The other thing, and I've, you know, we have other kids, we have, do have one other child in the family that was diagnosed with um, cancer. What people need to know too, is that it does tend to go, the diagnosis goes back and forth, back and forth all over the place. That's the really tough part too, is that sometimes they don't know right away what's going on. You know, so you've got to leave. That was a Thursday. And you got to leave. We had to come back in the next day for scans. And then we didn't know all weekend what was happening, you know. And you're just wandering around like, what is what's going on here? Because my husband even said if this is bilateral, it's gonna be a heck of a lot worse than unilateral, you know. Because now you're dealing with two kidneys and you can't just take both kidneys out without doing dialysis or, you know. So at that point, they said that they thought that he may have had some nodes on his lungs as well, which would have meant that it had spread. So we went back in the next morning for the MRI, the sedated MRI, which is tough. The scans are actually tough as well, you know, because they need to get an IV and all that. So um, that's that's how we found out. It was it was crazy. So mother's intuition. Right. You know, but then you go through the inevitable guilt of, you know, should I have pushed for this more? Should I have done this? I mean, you can't do that either because you know what? There's so many times that there is nothing wrong. Long story short, when he was diagnosed, you know, correctly, we were at Texas Children's. They put him on the proper protocol. And then we started that. It was the highest stage. And then we had to do basically what they did was instead of biopsying it or or uh, doing surgery on it, which is what they wanted to do in San Antonio first. They said, no, don't do that because it could potentially spread. Um, oh, so it's kind of like yes, popping right. a balloon. That was the problem because there's oh, wow. a specific protocol right now for Wilms for bilateral and unilateral Wilms. Talking about Wilms, but is that a disease or is that cancer or is they it They call both? it a disease. Right. I know. And they call it a disease. And that's why I never know if I should say bilateral Wilms disease because people think, what is that? It is. It's just they named it after the person who discovered it and it's considered a disease, but it is, it's cancer. I mean, it's tumors. It's basically, you know, nephroblastoma. I mean, it's, it's, a ki- it's kidney cancer. He's fine now. And how many right. months or years out are you? So we just had his nine-month scans out after the bell ringing. So he'll be at one year this coming March. So, yeah. What about the siblings through treatment and and now? Was there ever a sense of almost um, jealousy because of the attention he had to get? Or how do they react then and now? Well, I mean, it really did upset the whole sort of status quo of what was happening. Um, Tucker was the middle child. So we have an older son who's, you know, quite a bit older than him. He's six years older than him. So Cooper is about to turn 11. I mean, you know, he was nine when this was when this happened. And we had to we had to start homeschooling because there's absolutely no way, you know, that he would have been able to go to school because we had to leave San Antonio for treatment. We were staying in temp stays in an apartment. So Cooper was with us. Tucker loves Cooper. He's like, he, he looks up to him and he loves him more than anything. But, and Cooper dealt with it really, really well. He went and he actually went to all of the chemos with us. He was a really good sport about that. We got matching masks for everybody, superhero masks. He was really a part of it. But I definitely 
yeah, I mean, there's definitely sort of a jealousy thing. And I finally asked to speak to um, a psychologist there, which that's another thing I would recommend, because I think people really sort of don't think about what it does to the other kids, you know, and we are still dealing with that. And she said, you're going to have problems because the little brother just turned two right when he was diagnosed. And so he went from sleeping in his own crib, you know, being the little brother, things like that. We go out to Houston. We've got um, my husband's great aunt, Becky, who's amazing, happened to retire like the same day he was diagnosed. So she came out to help us um, full time for four months straight and did everything. And she basically took care of the two-year-old full time. And, but still he didn't have mommy around. He went from sleeping in a crib, sleeping in a bed with her because we were in a temp stay, you know, it uproots everything, especially for people who have to travel. So, you know, yeah, I mean, there's absolutely a jealousy that creeps in there, you know, and it's unavoidable. And as a parent, it makes you feel horrible. That's another big, big thing to deal with because you're, you know, clearly you're favoring the person, the child with cancer, you know, but how do you explain that to a two-year-old or a nine-year-old, you know, (laughs) Because, you know, they don't know what's, they just know they're not getting probably the attention that they need. So we're definitely working on that now. We're trying to sort of get that back. Tucker also has issues. And that's another thing that, that, you know, people need to know in the aftermath of it, he has gotten, and this is something the psychiatrist and I, I think she was actually a psychologist, but her and I um, discussed they get so weighted on when they have cancer that when they come out of it, that definitely that also affects their personality, you know? So Tucker has, he's used to having his shoes put on, his shoes tied. And I want some, cause he drank, um, would only drink water if he had ice water when he was on chemo. So now it's like, I need ice water. I need, you know, I mean, it's, we're trying to get him back into sort of doing more things on, you know, by himself. <laughs> cause he sort of got used to that, you know? Or meeting famous people being right. treated completely different by society standards make a wish all of yes. those things they're fantastic they're fan- i'm right. not i would never say they're not but it's all stripped away and you're you're left with the bare bones of that right. tucker did he deal with any of those struggles i know he was 3 but my son still knew that he was getting special attention we were going to baseball games you know people would come in and meet him and and treat him you know they were famous but they he didn't know who they were but they would still treat right. him with love in their hearts so to speak because they they're volunteering to do this right and then that all kind of goes away well yeah yeah for sure I mean, he did that fashion show and then he came home and for weeks was telling his little brother that, you know, he was in a fashion show. <laughs> <His> little <laughs> brother wasn't. <laughs> you know, and his middle name is Kingston. So his big thing is Tucker Kingston. So his big thing is I'm the king, you know. Aww. <laughs> so it's like, but he, I mean, he's, he's, you know, a really sweet kid. He sort of, you know, when he was going through treatment, he actually didn't lap up the attention very much at all. Surprisingly, actually my nine year old was more like, look at all the arts and crafts we're doing. I'm going to go up to this. They had a whole floor of Texas children's where you can play pool and do all this stuff. You know, he was really sort of like, Whoa, look at all these perks we're getting here. You know, I mean, he, but Tucker was really sort of went into himself. He, he was very sort of, um, he sort of lost his, you know, social, I, I don't know. He wasn't, he's, he's finding actually more like the fashion th- show and things like that. He thinks are really cool, but yeah, that definitely starts fading away as you get further and further from the bell ringing. And so, yeah, it's tough. 
Is there anything else you'd like to add before we hear more about Tucker's torpedoes and... Okay, so you don't know your child, like, you know, they don't, the other doctors don't know your child, like, you know, your child. So you definitely have to advocate. If you think something seems wrong, you've got to push for it. Communication is key. Right. It really is. So we got to wrap this up for the sake of time here. And I hate to do that because this has been a very informative conversation. I really appreciate everything that you've had to say today, but you are the founder of Tucker's Torpedoes. So before we wrap up, can you just tell us what you do with Tucker's Torpedoes and how to find you? Well, uh, we're just getting it started and, you know, we're doing, we're, we're doing a little bit of information about Tucker's journey. And then really what we want to do is, you know, provide hope, advice and information to families and children fighting cancer. I mean, want to make sure that people understand where to go you know, for second opinions, what to do when they're diagnosed, um, what sort of symptoms to look for to get diagnosed. I mean, I think that it's important that you know keywords and, you know, things to say to doctors to sort of, you know, help yourself move along the process of getting diagnosed. And then once you are diagnosed, you know, I think people really need to understand what their options are for getting the second opinions, um, for where to go to get the treatment, um, what you can do as far as places to stay, um, help that you can get to get your child to, you know, the thought leaders in, you know, the area that, that you're in. And we also want to raise some money. I mean, you know, help people out, help them get where they need to be. And, you know, just things like parking passes, you know, we just donated a bunch of um, glitter glue sticks to some of the children's hospitals because that really helps child life, you know, giving the kids glitter and things like that to do their work when they're going through transfusions and infusions and all these other things. So, and we, we call it Tucker's Torpedoes because um, Tucker's dad uh, had to come back and forth between San Antonio and Houston uh, for work. So every week when he would leave, every weekend when he would leave Houston to come back to San Antonio to work, he'd tell Tucker to make sure that he imagined those torpedoes, torpedo, torpedoing his tumor, you know, and getting rid of the cancer. So that was our big thing. Are you torpedoing the cancer, you know? Envision it, you know, getting those tumors. And he did. And he did a great job. So we can actually be found, we're on... Um, Instagram and Twitter at Tucker's Torpedoes. So it's T-U-C-K-E-R-S and Torpedoes is T-O-R-P-E-D-O-E-S. Facebook at Tucker Scott or hashtag Tucker's Torpedoes. And then you can email us um, with any questions or advice that you need or anything, you know, about protocols or things like that, Um, especially for the, uh, the Wilms and the bilateral Wilms. Um, We can be emailed at Tucker's Torpedoes which is T-U-C-K-E-R-S-T-O-R-P-E-D-O-E-S 2014 at gmail.com. I'm so grateful to have you here and thank you for everything you've offered and your time. Well, thank you for having me. This has been great. Yeah, definitely. And just as a reminder, you're listening to Living With Anxiety with your host, Rosaria Kozar. Please visit my website at www.livingwithanxiety.org and subscribe to my podcast 